0: The following program is presented by the HTM Podcast Network. Good evening, everybody. This is Robin Nelson with another edition of Wrestle Podcast, and my guest tonight is—he's a uh, former participant of this documentary from MTV, True Life on the Pro Wrestler and an hwa original rory fox how's it going rory
1: hey how you doing great to be here all
0: right thank you so much um there's a story i want to ask you about um from a person that we both know um can you tell me about a pink golf bag
1: oh god i i thought i'd never hear that ever again <laughs>
0: Yeah, um, he. Um, I talked to him last night and he told me to ask you about that and, and I wanted to hear your thoughts on that.
1: Oh man, I I was so young in the business then, I didn't even, I don't even think I realized it was a rib at the time. I know it was, uh, I, I totally didn't understand it, but I just thought, <laughs> I wasn't 100% sure it was a total rib, but I I was so green, and uh, you know, it, it, it goes back just to like when they told me I was gonna be a newspaper boy. I wanted to be Rapid Fire Rory Fox and just wear the red and the yellow and be this exciting wrestler. And they said you're gonna be a newspaper boy, and I'm like, huh? That was the first head scratcher. The next head scratcher was is when they did have me turn heel, and uh, they wanted to be, me to be Chip Fairway's uh, caddy and uh they're like yeah we're gonna have you uh carry his golf bag i'm like okay cool no problem." <laughs> and then we, i show up at the at the building that night and it's a bright ass pink golf bag now i'd like to know uh maybe jackson knows jackson breeze knows or who, they, who who created the actual rib was it uh less thatcher or was it sharp boy or was it chip fairway uh that's that's what
0: I'd like to know. <laughs> you know something? I'm pretty good friends with Jackson Breeze. So I'm gonna have to. I'll have to a- ask him on that. Who who came up with that and get back with you on that? <laughs> yes.
1: ask, ask Jackson Breeze who the hell was responsible for the pink
0: golf bag. I definitely will. And the guy who brought it up was another good friend of mine. Uh, you worked with him too, uh, Joe Capaz. Oh my God!
1: Another guy I tried to forget. How's
0: old Joe Lopez doing? He's still refereeing, right? Yeah, he's still refereeing. He's refereeing for uh, War Ohio Wrestling in Lima, and he and he's also uh uh refereeing over at Future Great Wrestling with the Jackson Breeze and Cody Hawk and all of them.
1: Oh blind eye Joe Lopez.
0: Yeah, isn't he? So-, uh, so hey,
1: uh is there is there swearing on this podcast, or you got to
0: keep it clean? Uh You can swear. This is my podcast.
1: Okay, cool. Here's my Joe Lopez. Uh, anytime I see him, it could be uh, five years from now, ten years from now, twenty years from now. Joe Lopez would be in Cody Hawk's office at HWA, and he'd always have a, He'd always have a, a Mountain Dew in his hand. we really see pretty much have a Mountain Dew. And one day, uh, we're in the office looking. I just came in to make some copy of a, a match I just recently wrestled, and uh, there was Joe Lopez working away in the office, and. Uh, Going, hey, Rory, do you want a Mountain Dew? I was like, no, I don't want a Mountain Dew. We'll fuck you then. (laughs) So whenever I see Joe Lopez, I'd be like, hey, you want a Mountain Dew? No, we'll fuck you then.
0: (laughs) I'm going to give him a hard time about that.
1: (laughs) But there is one other thing that's very important about Joe Lopez and the history of uh, Rory Fox. When I did turn heel and claim to be the original uh with the original uh, MTV superstar Uh Joe Lopez is responsible for giving me an actual satin jacket with the MTV logo on the back so yes I got my MTV jacket from Joe Lopez
0: that's pretty wild that's something good to know I'm gonna have to definitely talk to him about that as well And, um, speaking of it, um, like I said, you're one of the HWA originals as well. Um, let's talk a little bit about, uh, Jackson Breeze as well. Um, you worked with him as well. And, um, and what's up with the saying, uh, candy for the kitties. Yeah. Jackson Breeze, uh,
1: this was the, uh, a Halloween edition of the HWA at the, uh, old HWA arena. They had a Halloween edition, uh, Harley Race and Ricky Steamboat were there. They did a uh, a seminar uh, over the weekend, and that night, you know, Jackson, you know, he tries to go into business for himself every now and then. He he just can't help himself. He has to pick up a microphone at a show. It's like it's just Jackson. He had to he had to announce that night. He goes, "Ladies and gentlemen, all these we have candy for the kiddies." <laughs> All of you kiddies can get some candy tonight at intermission. But yeah, Jackson would always... Jackson, with his, his little, you know, his southern redneck accent, he'd always be like, that's yes, where have candy for the kiddies." Or uh, another thing I would make fun of him about is uh, we do the Pillman Memorial Show each uh-huh. year. And at the very... I think I, I was at uh, 98. No, 98, I, I, I got there in... Uh, August. They had that in the summer, but '99, I was, I was helping out at the '99 the there doing security, whatever. And uh, he goes, "Lori, are you coming to the Peelman?" So yeah, it's not the, not Brian Peelman, but uh, Jackson Bee's Peelman. It's Brian Peelman Memorial. So uh, yeah, whenever I see Jackson, I always gotta mess with him too.
0: And it's pretty good as well. And um, you were part of the you know, uh, MTV documentary, True Life, I'm a Pro Wrestler. Um, how'd you become part of that? And um, what got you from there to drive all the way to Cincinnati and get trained by a legend by the name of Les Thatcher? Well,
1: how that all started was, is way before there was ever even talk of the MTV thing, I did my research and was looking for uh, pro wrestling schools. Uh back then you just call or write or do whatever you had to do. There was only, you know, a few promoters. You'd look at it in the uh back of the Pro Wrestling Illustrated. There were places for wrestling schools. I believe there was Killer Kowalski's. Uh, there was the E C. W. one. And uh Les Thatcher was really the only one that actually uh picked up the phone. Um I I I always uh I I can still remember calling Killer Kowalski's school and uh, this is the Killer Kowalski Pro Wrestling Institute your <laughs> <He gets laughs> best shot, and <laughs> I'd leave a voicemail but uh, yeah, Les see, that was the thing, I'm not, I think you'll hear from every one of his trainees, Les was so personable, like he would stop what he was doing and uh, take your call and you know, answer all our dumb questions or whatever Mark questions we'd ask, it, you know, who so and so and all this stuff, but yeah, Les Les uh, took the time to answer our questions, it made us feel real at ease about coming out to a school and I looked at it as Les Thatcher was a very undersized guy for for his time and in that time in the business and he had you know, he's probably about five eight, five nine like me. And he had a twenty some year career and he wrestled in all the territory so obviously he had to have been very good at what he did or he wouldn't have been wrestling that long. And then, you know, then he got into commentary. He always had a place in the business. So I figured he's around my size, and obviously he can teach me how to be a pro wrestler and you know, be very good at it. So I, uh, yeah, I was uh, living in Watkins, Iowa, and I'd been watching uh, wrestling all my life. And then as I started to get to get go, going into the gym around 17, 18, 19, and I started to put some size on around uh, 20, I was like, I have to find out if I can do this or not. And I had saved up all my money from working in this shithole factory, Whirlpool, Manor Refrigeration, they make all those refrigerators, refrigerations, and uh, yeah, I worked in there for two and a half years, and uh, after talking to Les on the phone, he convinced me, and uh, uh, me and my dad went out for a visit one day, and uh, we talked to Les, we went out to dinner, and everything, saw the train, and even my dad felt confident, too, about it. So I picked up everything I had and uh, drove 500 miles out to uh, Cincinnati. And for me, that was a big deal. I'm from a little town of 100 people. I hadn't even been out of the state at that point, I don't think. Well, maybe on some vacations. That was about it.
0: And that's pretty good as well. And then since you um, trained and, you know, uh, let's taught you how to, you know, bump properly as well and all yeah. that. And um, you worked with uh, a lot of uh, great uh, HWA originals as well. I mean, you worked with uh, Pepper Parks. You worked with uh, Matt Stryker. uh, Mm -hmm. You worked with Moxley, who is now Dean Ambrose today. Um, uh, You worked with a lot of, you know, uh, great athletes that came out there. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah, most of that that was way later. But when I first started at the school... uh the people that were, uh, wrestlers there was, uh, Cody Hawk, who was a trainer of Dean Ambrose, UI Drake, uh, Tammy Callahan, and, uh, but yeah, Cody was already wrestling and then Sharkboy Boy was there. Uh, when I got there, uh, let's see, Nigel McGinnis just started up a little bit after that. So they were all in my train class. BJ Whitner was there and <laughs> was when he was like, uh, 160 pounds. He <laughs> came a long way. Yeah. Uh, Matt Stryker, yeah, the other Matt Stryker, he was he was very good too. Yeah, and Chip Fairway was another great one. Uh, G two Masters, the third was a... If if WB would have had managers back then, you know, I, he definitely would have been on TV every week. And, uh, but yeah, I mean, back back to the MTV part though. Uh, when I was going through uh, the training, how the, the MTV thing came way later. That I had nothing to do with me choosing that school. But uh, Les was, I, I guess MTV was calling around, going to they're curious about doing this whole uh, wrestling documentary, and they wanted a wrestler to train from scratch at a wrestling school and then have his match by the end of into end of the program. So it, can, it was supposed to be several, I don't know, three to four weeks of training, and then like have this kid in the battle royal or do something, just just show the beginning steps of a guy getting into the business, and then a guy that's currently about to become champion, which is Triple H, and a guy at the end of his career, which was Tony Atlas. Well, the kid they brought in from Chicago had a major drug problem, and it's about, what happened was typically what happens through all the years of pro wrestling. One guy screws up, another guy gets an opportunity. It was like, they've already invested in this kid from Chicago, but he's not going to training, He's not doing what he agreed to do, and when the uh, MTV cameras came around and interviewed everybody, I guess they liked my story. You know, the kid, the kid from Watkins, Iowa, that drove 500 miles, just picked up and moved for a chance in pro wrestling to pursue his dream, and they liked my story. And next thing you know, they go from phasing out uh, that individual and they they switch the cameras to me, and then uh, I happen to be. I was very close to having my first match at that time, which, by the way, uh, another way to get a match with uh, Les Thatcher was: uh, as you're getting better, Les wouldn't seriously look at you for your uh, first professional match until he saw that you had wrestling boots. You were not uh, you were not debuting without wrestling boots, and I had a <laughs> I had a shiny new pair of wrestling boots and they're like, hey, let's go with this Steve Moss kit from Markins Island. MTV liked me and then Les was
0: like, okay, let's do it. Hey, that's pretty good as yep. well. And speaking of that, during that whole MTV documentary when they were documentary as well, um, you made your debut at the Armory. Yes, Hamilton. So what was that like for you debuting in the Armory? Oh,
1: it, it was so nerve-wracking. I wish, you know, I wish people could If you could see the footage, you'd understand how nervous I was that night. Um, This documentary was on YouTube for years, but I think Copyrighted or WB decided to pull it off YouTube, which I don't understand why. It doesn't really hurt them. WB was in a great setting on that show. But uh, yeah, uh, I was nervous as hell when when GQ was going over the match with me in the back. You're going to do this, blah, 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 da, 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 da. And I'm like, oh my God, I can't remember all this. and. We were in training and we worked on little memory techniques and uh, how to do some basic spots we at least have some basic uh, basic spots to do. but anyway, we're going over the match in the back of the tag match and I was so nervous. It, you're, you're so cool it's in your first match out there. it's, it's, like, it's like you're on autopilot. you just it's like uh, you're just listening to your opponent. your first match is just like shut up kid, just listen to me. I'll tell you, I'll tell you when to do everything. And yeah, if you see the footage too, the uh, music guy actually goes to high five me, and I totally like miss his hand because I'm look, already looking focused focused at the ring. So people always give me shit over the years about that. How like the the sound guy goes to give me a high five, and I totally miss his hand as I'm walking to the ring. Uh, I I wasn't smart enough then to have some tear pants, so I'm also struggling on TV trying to, trying to get the jeans off over my wrestling boots, and then I spring up in the corner, and uh, I had been watching some Tiger Mask tapes, so I uh, jumped up to the top open, standing up there, and then I jumped in the ring, but at least that part I got right when I jumped in the ring. That would have been bad if I would have fallen on my ass, like, kind of, <laughs> like, oh, I would have set the tone for the match.
0: Hey, that would have been cool just to see that as well. And um, speaking of Cody Hawk, which we were talking about earlier, what are your thoughts about him uh, getting the Wrestling Pro Trainers Award at the Cauliflower Ollie Club in uh, Las Vegas?
1: Yeah, I'm I'm so happy for him. That's a tremendous tremendous accomplishment. Uh, You know, Cody has made his living the last uh, 10 years or so as a trainer, and uh, that's great to see some of his uh, fruits of his uh, trade you know in the business now all these uh, Dean Ambrose is such a great wrestler Eli Drake a, he's a very talented individual and so is uh, Sammy Callahan they're all three different kind of talents but they're all succeeding and it's good to see someone like Cody Hogg get that uh, you know acknowledgement by uh, by his peers at the Cauliflower Alley Club and uh, you know he got to do a one of those weeks down at the, uh, uh it's at the uh, training center for WWE, uh, the performance center. You got to be a week down there, so it's good to see someone you know from the HW area, you know, being acknowledged.
0: Yeah, it's pretty good as well. Um, um, we're also getting ready to do uh, next week. I don't know if Jackson ever told you about this. We're going to be doing a uh, HWA uh, special podcast where they're getting everybody that wrestled in with the HWA
1: oh yeah and you mentioned something to me about that a while ago but what's it uh but didn't he it was some big meeting he got everybody's got to get together for that
0: yeah he's got um so far he's got a bunch of people coming some people they haven't seen in years
1: yeah um what i'll probably do is i would like to but that's that's a long commute for me Uh just especially just for a podcast. if you know Roy Fox at all, I got to be in that ring. I got to get that. I got to get that spotlight. So I'd love to come back for that, but uh, I, I would probably. I'm probably going to wait for another. We'll, we do like a HMB reunion show.
0: So, yep.
1: But uh, yeah, it'd be nice to see all them other guys. But I think most of them would probably be back at that uh, if we do a reunion show. But yeah, who who do you got coming for that?
0: Um, let's see. We've got um, Roy McAllister's coming. Um, We've got uh, um, uh, Brian Beach, Jackson Cody, uh, you know, uh, uh, Heavy Metal Viking Hooks, you know, Brad. um, I'm trying to think some other names he also reached out to. Uh, He reached out to uh, Pepper Park, so he's waiting to hear from him. And a bunch of other uh, guys from back in the day, uh, Danny, Joe Capes, a bunch of the guys.
1: yeah, they ought to get Sherdell, uh, the the, the uh, expert Brian Taylor. They ought to have uh, GQ Masters third, of course, boy.
0: Oh, that'd be great, too. And um, they were also trying to get uh, Guffman as well.
1: Yeah, I think Guffman's down in Tennessee.
0: Yeah, he is. Um, I did a podcast with him. Boy, he knows a lot about the business. Yeah,
1: he does. And he could cut a hell of a promo, too. He's another guy that sure At least had a cup of coffee in WWE, for, you know, being a manager uh, missed opportunities and just they weren't using managers at that time, and that's just how it was.
0: Yeah, it's pretty cool as well. And since you know you were a uh, part of the MTV documentary, also did it um, also help you uh, get the door open when you went over to uh, WWE? Oh, uh, absolutely! It that's the
1: thing, uh, you know it. That MTV thing really helped me. It helped me get in the doors, but but you have to still have to be able to wrestle. You have to be able to cut promos. You have to be able to entertain the fans. So if you don't do a good job, you don't really get to go back. And uh, uh, that MTV thing led to uh, at, at one point me leaving uh, Cincinnati to go back to Iowa for a while. I just it was it was time to take a break from there. I pretty much ran out of money, and i uh, i sent my uh, i sent my videotape. Resume and uh, photos to uh, Kevin Kelly, who's in who's a commentator in Ring of Honor now, but back then he was he was helping book the extra talent for uh, for uh, Raw and SmackDown, and I sent him. That's back when you had to actually mail your videotapes in and uh, resume eight by ten and all that. And I sent it off, and I was so happy about this because it left to make a phone call for me. I I did this part on my own. I just took the initiative and. I'm back in Iowa and I'm like, hey, I'm just gonna try and see what happens and one of the happiest days of my career was having a voicemail uh, from from Kevin Kelly, W B saying we're very interested in you coming in. I have these dates for you and uh, I gave him a call back and yeah, he just told me to come to such and such towns and I was like, Oh, excellent. So yeah, that was uh, that was one of my that was my very first opportunity, you know, after the M T V thing was getting to do it wasn't, I, it was, yeah, it was, okay, they, That's it was Raw and SmackDown, they taped them, they were live on Monday and then taped on Tuesday, but uh, on Mondays, right before they did the live Raw, they, this is when they still had syndicated programs, they had like Metal Jacked, that was before uh, one of the Saturday Night Show they used to have on Spike, uh, that a lot of young indie guys got out of opportunities on, I can't remember that show, but uh, anyway, I got to wrestle... Haku, who I saw when I was five years old at the Five Seasons Center in Cedar Rapids, Iowa, I got to wrestle Haku that night in front of 20,000 people in Minneapolis, Minnesota at the Target Center. So if you thought I was nervous in my first match in, in the Hamilton Armory, imagine uh, being a 22 year old kid wrestling in front of 20,000 people at the, at the Target Center in Minneapolis.
0: Oh, that had been wild as well. And you also wrestled another big guy, too, Heidenreich. Yeah,
1: that, that came that came a few years later. But the Haku thing was a funny story. We we're, were down around ringside, and uh, we're all doing our little matches, trying to get noticed. And then I saw Tony Greal was the guy that was the matchmaker, and he set up the uh, matches for the night, like a little extra matches. And... I just started doing hindi squats and trying to stand right by him. So I was like the first person he saw in his view. <laughs> and
0: <laughs> and he,
1: he comes up to me, yeah, you don't mind getting beat up, do you?" I was like, no sir, not at all. Like, all right, you got Haku, like, excellent. So, so yeah, did- I actually wrestled Haku that night. And another funny thing about that, it goes, uh, uh, Eddie Guerrero, this is when, uh, shortly before Eddie Guerrero was uh, fired from WWE, we were going over our match in the hallway and Haku is telling me, okay, we're going to do this tonight, brother, we're going to do this backdrop, da-da-da-da. Eddie Grill comes in pulling his luggage and he didn't look in the best of conditions. Haku looks at him, kind of, well, is going to the match and he stops, kind of looks at him and then starts talking again to me and Eddie went off in the dressing room and then I don't know what happened the rest of the night, but, uh, then you find out the next day Eddie was fired.
0: Uh, wow! That
1: was, that was yeah, it's, uh, yeah. The great Eddie Grill. This, this is when he had his demons, and then he, you know, a year later he was back, and everything was great, and he went on to this. He had this amazing run in WWE, but yeah, I was there the night Eddie Grill was was fired.
0: All yeah. right, let's talk about a um, another thing you did too. It was part on on ECW. Uh, TV where you were in the ring with Zack Ryder with the infamous tights incident.
1: <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Which, uh, yeah, we were out in uh, Rockford, Illinois, and it was for the uh, ECW show, and we were just having a normal match, and it was a move I had taken, you know, a hundred times in matches, the old... Uh, you're beating up the heel, and he backs into the corner, and he pulls on your trunks, and you take a face bump into the buckles. You know, it's, it's standard. It's a standard move. It's been done forever. Uh, but on this night, if you go back and look at the footage, you tell me I wasn't even, I wasn't even close to the corner yet. We're almost towards the middle of the ring, and he yanked on my trunks so hard, like taking a back bump, and the trunks ripped. They went up, and uh, yeah. I had the uh, I had the the wardrobe malfunction right there in uh, Rockford, Illinois, and uh, if you go back, that I think that match is actually on YouTube somewhere. You can find that if you dig enough. But uh, you can hear the you can all of a sudden hear the crowd cackling and the women. And, uh, yeah.
0: <laughs> That's pretty funny. And what were you thinking at the time when that happened? You're probably going, "Oh my gosh, this is embarrassing." <laughs> I'm
1: like, "Oh my god." This- Vince isn't going to be able to use his footage and uh, he's going to be so angry with me and I'm never going to be used again. (laughs) And uh, when the match was over, I went to the back and there was, it was just like total silence. It was like, I don't know, in my mind, I just still feel like, like there was no one there. Like no one was in the back and uh, it's like, oh my God, they're so mad. No one's talking, no one's saying anything to me. And uh, I was just terrified that like they couldn't waste it. They, they've wasted this footage. It's like they can't use it now. But luckily, uh, they had an hour to fix it because uh, ECW aired later that night. And it was totally fine. And I, I come to find out years later, uh, Chris Jericho was always, he got such a kick out of it, made it into one of his books. He's had Zack Ryder on his podcast. They call it The Exploding chunks. Incident, but anyway, I talked to him finally about it years later, and he was like, Yeah, even Vince was giggling about it, and laughing. So, I Vince gave me no indication that it was okay, it was just like silence, no one was talking to me, but and I was just scared shitless.
0: I bet you were, but think of this man, you made it in one of Jericho's books.
1: <laughs> so that's not that's not the only thing, okay? But Jericho is one of my heroes. In fact, I have a photo with him. Him and Eddie Guerrero, the, the night before NWO sold out in 97 was in Cedar Rapids, Iowa. That, uh, uh-huh. what, what Mr. Dave Meltzer said was one of the worst pay-per-views ever, but not for a fan like me. I got a picture with, with Chris Jericho as a fan in uh, you know 1997, and then, and then all these years later, this incident happened. Well, Fosby was playing in Des Moines one night, and I was really upset by it because I thought... Ryder and him were really making fun of me pretty bad on that podcast. And I was really upset. And then, uh, Fozzie was going to play in the morning. I, I got a, I got a hold of him on Twitter and I said, Hey Chris, uh, this is Rory Fox. Do you mind if I tell my side of the story? And next thing you know, I'm on one of my idols tour bus being interviewed on his podcast about an embarrassing situation. And I refer to this as like a, Jens McMahon has told several wrestlers over the years, let's turn a negative into a positive. And that negative and one of the worst moments of my life turned into me being interviewed by one of my heroes on his, uh, on his tour bus for a podcast.
0: Oh, I bet, I bet you were having the time of your life in there too. And don't lie a little bit. You were probably marking out a little bit.
1: (laughs) Oh yeah. I mean, I was so excited, like talking fast and I, before I even hit the record button, I was already talking about stuff, and like, whoa,
0: whoa, whoa, slow down, slow down, we, we gotta get this on the air. So, uh, oh, that had to have been funny. Know. At least you got to talk to Jericho as well. And also about that incident, you know, when you heard uh, Jericho and Zach Ryder talking about it as well, did you ever uh, talk to Zach Ryder about it as well, or? Oh, we're, yeah, we're cool now.
1: We talked about it. he apologized to me and everything, and I, I thought it was a rip. I thought... I thought I had heat with somebody there. Maybe I, maybe I pissed off someone that day, or I missed shaking someone's hand. And they said, oh, "Hey, get this kid tonight out there, rip his trunks." And then I'm thinking, I don't think they want to do that for TV. But uh, I don't know. You'd be the judge if you go back and see any kind of standard grab the trunks, hit the turnbuckle, and then see the way he did it. You think it was a rib? Yeah. But it was also pulling a trunks, which. Uh, um, I, yeah, I don't, think which I guess I, I, don't know if I should say her name or not. She was the one responsible for making them. She's a pretty good girls wrestler now and, uh, uh, ring of honor.
0: Do you say who?
1: Kelly Klein.
0: Oh, Kelly Klein, huh?
1: <laughs> yeah. Uh, she just, she was making trunks at that time besides training to be a wrestler and she, she did, I, I, do, I will say, though, she did give me a great deal on the trunk because I was trying to do the, hey, I'm using these for WWE be tryouts, so give me a, give me a good deal because they may be on TV. Well, they're on TV, but uh, she didn't put the seam on the side. She put the seam on the bottom, so. And, and they were like a pleather material, so if, if they get pulled hard enough, They ripped, so that's why you saw, like, the trunks go up instead of down. They, like, ripped from the the nutsack and went up. But, uh, (laughs) yeah, those were were Kelly Klein uh, trunks. But, you know, she she helped me out with a few pairs of trunks that I wore over the years. But they just happened to rip that day. They couldn't handle Zack Ryder pulling as hard as he could on my trunks. But, you know, maybe I probably should have had the little underwear underneath. But I just never, I don't know, I just, I never did that. I never needed it. So
0: So after your... After you had that malfunction with your trunks, uh, did you go back to Kelly Klein and tell her about that? And what what was her thoughts?
1: <laughs> that part I don't even remember. It's like so much of that is like blocked out in my mind now. I mean, I don't even know if we ever had another discussion. I was I was so upset about it that not only did I not contact WDB again. I mean, I don't know if I even talked to her again.
0: Uh, it's awesome you wrestled everywhere as well um
1: oh i did talk i'm sorry i did talk to her it's just i didn't bring it up um i i went back out to cincinnati uh, a few years ago and dj whitmer and left thatcher had a little uh uh they're doing a little training school at the time they're running the camp there okay and i did see kelly there yeah, but in it was all cool i just didn't bring it up it just that was just I, I, I don't know. I just didn't want to open that stab up, you know? I didn't want to tear that Band-Aid
0: off. Hey, I don't blame you. I wouldn't have done that as well, because uh, you don't want to be on Kelly's bad side. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's pretty good as well. And you've wrestled all over besides WWE and HWA, too. Um, tell us about a little bit about your time uh, wrestling over in Texas. Oh, Texas
1: was great. That worked out. I happened to have an uncle in San Antonio, and... I didn't think I could do any more anything else in Iowa and in Midwest at the time, and he you know, had always told me, you know, come to Texas, you always have a place to stay. So, a few months turned into three years there, and I won promotion. I won titles in San Antonio. I won them in Texas, up in up in Dallas, East and West, and just there was a point where uh, this was, you know, two thousand seven, two thousand eight. I was carrying around four championships. That was I had a hell of a run there So You can say You know They knew me from MTV MTV got me in the door there But it was my promos And my wrestling And my ability to get heat In every Every promotion I wrestled in Texas Is what helped me Succeed there
0: Yeah that's pretty good because you did a lot of great matches there as well um i looked up some of them as well and um also tell us a little bit about another wrestler you worked with too which was kind of good at one time then it ended up being bad was with uh hernandez yeah that was a
1: really bad deal we were we were uh we were pretty good friends there for a little while i would uh you know we would sit and talk at the shows and he would help get me some bookings and uh, him, there's another good wrestler in, uh, Texas, his name was Mike, Mike, Fox, he's, yeah, but his was the F-O-X-X, and, uh, what, uh, Hernandez would do, he'd team us together, and this is, you know, South Texas, so we're the really white guys against the Latino guys, so it was, it was kind of a race thing, and it was, you know, 2008, Yeah, and, uh, we had, just had major, he, we're, we're the perfect foil for his Hispanic crew, you know, and, Yeah, uh, we were good friends until, well, I don't know, maybe we weren't friends, I don't know, but we got along really well, and, you know, he talked to me a lot, but at one point, he was booking shows for that uh, River City Wrestling, which is still open now, but he had told me, hey, I need you, it wasn't wasn't River City, they were out of business for a little bit there, it was called uh, uh, the Combined Wrestling Federation, CWF, they are using wrestlers from different promotions on a combined show. And uh, he was teaming one man, Mike Bell, and myself as he was grooming us to be their top heel tag team. And I had already been wrestling for this group called Southern Championship Wrestling, which uh, Dusty Wolf was a booker, and I was very close to Dusty Wolf. Don Holding was the uh, promoter. And uh, Hernandez was like, Look, we're pushing you guys as our, our top heel tag team. Uh, we need you on the next show. I'm like, Sean, I'd be glad to do your show, but I'm already booked for FCW. And he's like, are you kidding me? We're pushing you. you got to be at the next show. And I'm like, no, I have to do that show. He goes, just just don't go to it. If the CWF closes, I'm sure FCW will still book you. You know, they'll bring you back. They'll let you come back. I'm like, I don't want to put myself in that situation. They booked me, and I'm doing that show. And this was after a few shows at that CWF, and uh, yeah, he, he didn't have much time for me after that, and, and then, you know, we, we were still doing some matches in XCW in Texas, and I think that YouTube footage is out there where he gives me that, that border toss, uh huh, yeah, and uh, over the years, that became a very dangerous move, well, it was definitely dangerous to me, because uh, three different times, not every time he gave it to me, but three different matches I'm pretty much landing on my uh, neck very high on my shoulders and on my neck and uh, I you know he's a scary guy and I just was just getting more and more mad about it but uh, I was you know I was like can you You know, is it all, can I, can I not take that move anymore? And, and then I told, I told the guys I rode with, like, Hey, I told Hernandez, I don't want to take that move anymore. And then I guess Hernandez was like, Oh, Rory's going around saying he told me not to, he's not taking that move anymore. But it's just, it got worse over the years when, uh, when we weren't friends anymore and I just showed up at an RCW show. It wasn't even a locker room. It was outside the building where they had all the boys at. And that was that was a night where he—I don't know what he was on tonight, night—but he's a massive. He's he was a massive, scary dude. He's not the real lean CrossFit guy like he is now. He was big barrel chest, had this big mustache, and he's like, "What the fuck are you doing here?" I'm like, "I was just here to see ODB and some of the other ones and uh, Dirty, Dirty Andy Dalton." uh, You know, some of the guys there. He goes, "Get the fuck out of here right now!" and I said what? And next thing you know, he shoves me down. He's like ready to fight right now. I'm I'm 190. He's like 260. Come on, motherfucker, right now! And uh, oh god, I just I just froze and just just got out of there. And I ended up losing my cell phone. I tried to go back and get my phone. Their security said you have to get out of here. You can't come back, or we'll call the cops. And yeah, total total falling out. And it was a shame. I was just there. I was just there to see the boys. I didn't even go inside the building and, you know, he wants to fight big old 5'8 Rory Fox and, uh, yeah, he was Billy really Badass that night and, but, he got his later on, there's a guy in Texas called, uh, Super Tex, Brent McKenzie and there's actually security cam footage of, uh, Hernandez approaching, he's a, this McKenzie guy is a really great guy, big, nice, big, lovable guy and you see him kind of put his foot in uh, McKenzie's sitting there, and he actually puts his foot foot in a McKenzie's face, like kind of like a pie face almost, so next thing you know, McKenzie gets up, and he just starts piss-pounding uh, like three, four shots right at Hernandez's face, and Hernandez, he totally knocked Hernandez back, and then he, they got split up, but I mean, it took eight years, but it, finally, someone kicked the the bully's ass. and uh, I, uh, when it happened, I I just simply messaged Brent McKinsey and I just messaged him and I just put thank you and he he knew exactly what I meant.
0: That's pretty good as well. And speaking of Dirty Andy Dalton, I've also had him on as well. A great guy. Um, what was it like to work with Andy Dalton?
1: Well, he's really he's you know he's really good, but he was I mean that's it was so long ago. He was just 21-year-old he's just a 21 year old kid. He's just a kid. He's not the the referee is now he was just a kid out there just trying to get booked and um i really think so maybe down the line, since uh pro wrestling revolver or revolver wrestling comes to des moines now and uh he participates in those shows i can just see it now uh dirty andy dalton because uh, usually 3x wrestling uh in des moines runs the night before they do
0: mm-hmm.
1: i could just see dirty andy dalton against the uh Super duper, super duper good guy, uh, all American. Uh, Gil Rogers wrestling Dirty Andy Dalton. And I think that could be a hell of a matchup.
0: Oh, that definitely will be. I, I would die to see that. It'd probably be like a, a good, intense match as well. I mean, that would be a wild match. <laughs>
1: well, it would get wild if uh, if Dalton refused the handshake and he didn't want to follow the rules because uh, Gil Rogers. Follows the rules and believes in himself, and uh, he has his Gil Rogers way. Now, if Dalton doesn't want to, it's, it's probably, it, I would say it's Gil's own code of honor.
0: Hey,
1: Gil Rogers a is a mission of the business.
0: Yeah, Gil Rogers is a pretty tough dude, too. <laughs> yes, yeah, very scientific wrestler. Uh,
1: he definitely follows the rules, un, unlike uh, Rory Fox.
0: Yeah, so, um, if uh if there was like a, a like a match between uh Rory Fox and Gil Rogers, you know, if that you know, if if you ever could combine those two guys together, do you think uh that type that type of, you know, uh, experience and, you know, uh you know, technical and all that would be able to dominate anyone in the ring in the Indies? Yeah, I I that
1: would be that would be a hell of a match, but uh I think uh Rory has way too many tricks up his sleeve, and uh, Gil would just be a little too gullible. And, and it's just Gil, no matter what, he will not break the rules. He has to follow the rules, and Rory will do anything to win a match, is the difference. And that's why Rory's won so many championships, and Gil's still trying to win his first championship.
0: Who knows? Maybe Gil will get a championship in the near future.
1: Well, <laughs> uh... For Gil Rogers, you know, we're out in the S I C W Southern Illinois Championship Wrestling and Gil's really starting to develop a following out there. Uh, who knows, that may that may be his first championship there.
0: Oh, that'd be pretty good as well. And when you're not wrestling in the ring, you enjoy other stuff as well. You are a, a diehard Chicago Cubs fan as well. And what was it like? And what were you feeling when the Cubs won their first World Series? Uh, I
1: was, I was, uh, I was just sitting there, in shock, pretty much speechless. I was just sitting there with, with tears down my eyes and just just stunned I, just watching it i couldn't believe it. it's like this has got to be a dream it just cannot be happening it can't be real
0: that's pretty and, good so were you a big so Cubs fan so I drunk-
1: cincinnati thing for you back when i was living in cincinnati uh i was in a i was in a bar in a bar in cincinnati there i forget what little town that was uh uh, well, it was in it, it's a, it's a suburb of Cincinnati. It wasn't far from the uh, HWA, the original HWA school. Okay. Uh, they had a, it was a, it was a bar near uh, where they they have that, uh, they have ice hockey there.
0: Okay. Oh, yeah, that's, um, I know exactly that's where that's at. That's in Sheronville.
1: Yeah, Sherinville, the bar there. I'm watching the Cubs and Marlins, uh, NLCS, you know the National League Championship Series. Cubs are up three games to one. I'm thinking, uh, oh, we're watching a, we're watching Game Seven, and the Cubs are up in that game. And oh my God, when the when that that whole Bartman incident happened, I wanted to get up and just I wanted to rip that big uh, big screen TV off the off the walls there. I, I wanted to just destroy that bar. I couldn't believe it. It's like, oh, my God, it's finally happening. The Cubs are going to go to the World Series. <laughs> you know, that, that whole Marlins game happened and
0: the whole Bartman incident. That's pretty good as well. So speaking of the Cubs, uh, you, you so you were a big uh, Cubs fan growing up as well, right?
1: Yeah, all, all my life. We, I did not have cable TV, but uh, on Sundays, our local... ABC affiliate would, would give us a WGN feed and I uh, get to watch Harry Carey and Steve Stone announce the games. And, uh, and all this stuff. And hear Harry get drunker and drunker as the game went on. But yeah, I grew up on the Cubs. A lot of my relatives are Cardinals fans. And uh, I have to watch it when I wrestle out in Southern Illinois Championship Wrestling. You know, Gil Rogers is the super good guy there. But I I want to wear my Cubs hat. And I was like, I Man, I'm gonna lose a lot of fame if I wear that Cubs hat, So I found it I, I find a new way to do it. I, I, I have a Cedar Rapids Colonels baseball hat that I wear when I'm out in that area now. So
0: And also Gil Rogers has a fancy jock jacket too. Oh,
1: uh, he's a fancy satin jacket, yeah. He's uh Rory had the uh nineteen eighty satin jacket and uh, Gil Rogers has yeah, nice. Uh, the red and yellow satin jacket, courtesy of the National Wrestling League. were promotion. We're trying, pretty much. We're trying to do what AEW is doing now, but they have way more money.
0: Yeah. So, what are your thoughts about um, AEW and how independent wrestling is on fire?
1: Yeah, I'm excited. It's you know, it's giving uh, WWE guys other options now. They. They can say notice to some things now. They don't have to stay there if they don't want to be. If you know if they're unhappy about things, they can actually stand their ground a little bit more instead of I, you know, I don't feel comfortable with what you're doing. I don't like it. I don't. I'm not happy here, and you know, I'm going to go somewhere else. And they have options now. The indies are on fire. A lot of these wrestlers now they can get bookings Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sundays are becoming a big thing now. So really, Thursdays are becoming the Friday night, and these Sunday shows are like a Saturday night now. They're they're packing them in on these Sunday afternoon shows. Plus, you have AEW. Before you, you had TNA, and then, or you had to go to Japan. But now you can actually make a good living. On the Indies, and now with AEW, you know, the sky's the limit.
0: That's pretty good as well. Um, do you think uh, Roy Fox will ever show up to uh, future great wrestling in Hamilton, Ohio?
1: I'd say there's a real good chance Roy Fox will be out there at some point. Um, I would like to have a match of that promotion, but uh, it seems Mr. Cody Hawk just wants me to come back for an HWA reunion, but I kind of want to come out. I don't really want to show that spotlight, you know? I... Lauren Fox has always been an egomaniac. He wants that spotlight and uh what's the name of this new promotion I'm always hearing about? Jackson Breeze
0: promoting on Facebook? Yeah, it's uh it's Future Great Wrestling. Uh Jackson Breeze works it, uh, uh Cody Hawk, you know, uh, works behind the <laughs> scenes. And Brian L El-
1: Future Great Wrestling. Well, I think there's some present great wrestling now, and his name is the original he was the original Pro, he's pro wrestling's original reality TV star, Rory Fox. And I think there's some present great wrestling right now that I would love to come out to this future great wrestling and show all those kiddies what's up. Hell, maybe even come back and show Cody Hawk how it's done. And maybe I could even slap Jackson Breeze's face one more time.
0: Ooh, I would love to see Rory Fox uh, give some big sl- chops and slaps to. Uh, um, bad attitude, Brian Beach, because he's been doing that a lot lately to all of his opponents. I like to see oh, some, really? yeah. I like oh. to s- see him get like um, taught um, back to school in the ring, man. That would be great.
1: Maybe I can show some of uh, Cody Hawk's young up and coming talents how it's done. You know, he's probably, you know, Cody Hawk. He's, I'm sure he's a, is he a fan favorite there.
0: Uh, Cody Hawk, um, you know, you know how he's part of the five most wanted. The, you know, they're oh, like,
1: are, are they there?
0: Yeah, the five most wanted: there, him, uh, Sean Casey, uh, Big John Murray, and of course, oh, you know, yeah. uh, Pretty Little Cycle, <laughs> Shauna Reed. Yeah, are they kind of running things out there. Yeah, they are, and, and and it's it's a great promotion. I mean, it's every Friday night, and um, they got a huge following. They get big crowds in there. It's it's been really great. It's an awesome roster. I mean, uh, they they bring in you know uh, wrestlers from all over the indies to come wrestle. They've had a they've had a lot of uh you know uh great indie guys in there, and it, it's just such a great promotion. And I think it would so rock if, you know, Rory, you know, Fox made his presence there. That that, that would be just... So
1: what's, what's Jackson Breeze's deal there? Is he, like, the commissioner or what? I, I see him on. he's hogging the microphone again, isn't he?
0: Yeah, he's, like, the new sheriff in town. He carries, like, a U.S. Oh. Marshal badge. He still has this flask of whiskey, and he's the law.
1: Well, Jackson Breeze may find out one of these Friday nights that Rory Fox doesn't give a damn about any sheriffs or any rules, and I never have forgotten one of our matches Rory Fox and Matt Stryker took on Jackson Breeze's tag team of Southern Breeze and you know what that no good Jackson Breeze did to me in that match
0: what did he do to you
1: well I was already being beaten down and choked on the ropes by Southern Breeze I was laying on the apron and Jackson Breeze got out his little flask and I was told the flask is just for show. It's Coca-Cola in there. <laughs> Jackson Breeze grabbed me by the neck and poured half that flask down my throat of raw Jack Daniels. And Rory Fox had never drank a drop of Jack Daniels in his life. And that no good Jackson Beast tricked me that night, and I will never forgive him for that.
0: Hey, who knows? Maybe when you shuff the uh, FGW, you can uh, get a little payback on Jackson Breeze as well. <laughs>
1: yeah, maybe after my patented uh, Mouse and slam to Jackson Breeze, I might just grab that flask and
0: pour that damn Jack Daniels down his stinking redneck throat. Oh my gosh, I would pay to see that. I would so video it and I would post it on YouTube. <laughs> yes.
1: Let's set it up. Rory Fox will do one of these future great wrestling, and it's going to be a Rory Fox tribute night, not a HWA reunion night. I want my own night, damn it, because I was one of the longest-reigning HWA champions in history, 360 days. And I know they say Buffalo Bad Boy James was the longest-reigning. Well, no, it's not. It doesn't count because that promotion closed for six to eight months, so he's really not the longest-reigning champion. I don't care if he's Dean Ambrose's buddy. Bad Boy James, you were a paper champion. That promotion was shut down. I am the longest reigning champion.
0: Hey, that is, that's pretty awesome. I I would like that as well. Um, Another question I'm going to ask you too. um, You've probably had a lot of memorable moments in your career as well. What was Mm -hmm. one of your uh, most memorable moments that uh, uh, sticks with you through all the years of your wrestling? And did you have any regrets?
1: Uh another uh, memorable moment was uh doing that Super Eight tournament. That was the first time I was ever flown anywhere. So I got to do the Super Eight tournament and wrestled uh Williams in the first round of that. He ended up winning the tournament. Uh that was a pretty cool moment. Getting being flown to the East Coast, being a you know growing up in Watkins Island, uh, you know, being flown somewhere. You know, that's always a big deal, you know, when you're an independent wrestler the first time you're flown somewhere. That was that was a really cool moment. Uh another one that cody hawk helped happen uh hwa uh did a uh we we had a wrestling show at a minor league ballpark up in bridgeport connecticut bridgeport connecticut and uh if you know anything about my past uh i'm from a town that's rich in history for baseball and we actually had a movie about our high school it was called the final season sean Aston was playing the coach in the movie uh it, 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 it was a highly acclaimed movie it just didn't have a lot of uh, success in the theaters but uh, my love of baseball and pro wrestling were combined in that one day uh, they had asked anybody want to throw out the first pitch I was like I do, I do, I do so I got to do out the ceremonial first pitch and you've seen over the years all these celebrities or these other pro wrestlers even like CM Punk, he got to throw out the first pitch at Wrigley and it was terrible it looked like he never even threw a baseball before But, you know, he's a great Cubs fan, though. I won't take that away from him. But uh, when I got to throw out the first pitch, I went up to that top of the mound. See, I was a pitcher in high school, two-pitcher in second base. And when I was a kid, I either wanted to be uh, Hulk Hogan or Ryan Sandberg. You know, Ryan Sandberg was my favorite player of all time. But anyway, I got to get on the mound. I did my little stance, did my little wind-up, and boom, fastball right down the middle, popped that catcher's net. And I go to shake the catcher's hand, <laughs> and he made me feel real good. He goes, "What are you doing? Pro- what are you doing, pro wrestling?" <laughs> so, yeah, me getting to uh, throw out the first pitch at a minor league baseball stadium—that was a very cool moment.
0: Hey, that's pretty good as well. Um, also, um, um, if there um, another question too is, if you can change anything about pro wrestling and how fans perceive it, what would you change and why?
1: I, I, you know, uh, Eli Drake caught some slack because he wouldn't wrestle Tessa Blanchard. I totally respect his opinion. Um, I, I'm just, I guess I'm out of, out of the time, but I just, I don't like the intergender matches. I'm fine. They say, I'm fine with Ellsworth wrestling women, but like I said, there's a wrestling circus match of Brian Cage versus Tessa Blanchard. And, She's kicking out at every big move he's done, and at the same time, he's he's being called this machine at uh, Impact Wrestling, like this und- indestructible machine. And, and he and Tessa Blanchard are going twenty-five minutes at russell Circus. Uh, I I really don't I not, I don't like that kind of thing. I just um, you know I'm I'm just not a fan of that yet. Maybe. Yeah, maybe, or maybe Allison K. wrestling smaller wrestlers, but I, there's a place for it, but not not that 50 50 kind of slugfest. Um, and I, I, I don't know. I just, just for me, just, just just my opinion. Just too much acrobatics. I like I like to tell a story in the ring, and it's not all about work rate. I think we're all combined to go by what Meltzer says now. But uh, I like I like a little more story. And if you see Rory Foster, Joe Rogers. You're going to get an entertaining match, but it's not going to be all about the moves. It's going to be about uh, a, the story that's being told in the ring and selling and expressions. And that's one thing I, I would like to change too: slow it down a little bit. And the first, I mean, it just every match has four or five near falls at the end, and oh, almost a three count. every match shouldn't be like that.
0: Uh, hey, I totally agree as well. Where can um everybody uh, find uh, Rory Fox on social media?
1: I'm on Instagram, Rory Fox 11, uh, Twitter, Rory Fox underscore. Oh, what else and, and I, have a, I have a Facebook page as well. And then my my other persona, I call it my split personality. I really believe uh, when Gil Rogers was created at the National Wrestling, which that may be another time to go into all those details, I truly believe it's a split personality. If you see Rory Fox at a show, he's Rory Fox. If you see Gil Rogers at a show, you're talking to Gil Rogers. If you start asking Gil about Rory, it, you're you're not gonna get any you're not you're not gonna get Rory and when you, it, I I base it off of uh, Andy Kaufman. It's it's totally that. Gil Rogers and Rory Fox are two complete different people. Uh, Rory Fox Enjoys the spotlight. He doesn't necessarily like the fans, but he likes to sell merch. But Gil Rogers loves the fans, just loves the history of pro wrestling, and uh, and always follows the rules. But yeah, Gil Rogers is also Gil Rogers underscore on Twitter, and I have my Gil Rogers Instagram and Facebook page as well. Uh, you can reach, you can, you know, you can purchase. But I have cups. I got T-shirts. Eight by tens. I got these nice ball caps for Rory Fox or Gil Rogers, whichever you like. Uh, you can catch my matches on YouTube. Uh, my Facebook page right now. If you want to see some, some Rory Fox, he's actually there's a match with Rory versus uh, Ricky Morton, which was a, a really fun match. And yeah, wrestling Ricky Morton was pretty incredible.
0: Uh, oh, I bet it was as well. Yeah. So when you came up with, you a, mean a, 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 of course, Rory Fox and Gil Rogers. Mm-hmm. Um, and speaking, you know, how Andy Kaufman, you know, c- kind of brought it all together, um, how'd you come up with that idea to do that whole split personality between, you know, Roy and Gil? Well, the,
1: the thing was, uh, the NWL wanted this just, just throwback character that respected the history of pro wrestling, and all they said was, you're going to be... We had, uh, we see this the owner of the company, said, we see this guy named Gil. And then I immediately thought, how about... Rogers, so you go. It, it makes it, it goes to Gil Rogers, and uh, they wanted me. They wanted me to act like I didn't know what decade it was. Like uh, some guys are working out at the gym, and then Gil comes up to him, "Hey guys, because so, you yeah, hey guys, I got my solar flex the other day." <laughs> so, and I try. I, and I turned it into, "Okay, Gil, Gil knows what year it is. He just prefers." a different style of wrestling. If it worked for a hundred years, it can still work today and I'm going to pay my respects to all the wrestlers that have paved the way. You know, I I idolize, you know, Rick Flair, Terry Funk, Gene Kaniski, Buddy Rogers, Mr. Wrestling 2, Bob Backland, and I'm going to wrestle. I'm going to do moves that they did and they have success with. And I may not win matches right away, but it's the Gil Rogers way, and if you believe in yourself and follow the rules, eventually things are going to go your way. And that was the whole storyline in WO. I would I lose match after match after match, but it wasn't—I wasn't an enhancement guy. Every match, we came up with a way, a creative way for Gil to lose, and uh, he always—he gave every opponent all they could handle. But the heel would just finally would cheat and find a way to win every week, and we built that up for a year. And uh, we really had some things going that were going to come to fruition and pay the fans off for their dedication and loyalty to Gil because throughout the sh- throughout the matches, you can hear Gil, 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 before the match, during the match, after the match, starting ovation, even after I leave the match every time. But then, the, unfortunately, the company went out of business and so we never got to finish that story. But there was a time in 2017 where I was heeled Rory Fox in Iowa, I became Steve Backlund in Steel Domain Wrestling in Minnesota, uh, and I was Gil Rogers. I was Gil Rogers in Missouri, Missouri Kansas area. There, so I actually had three. I had three personalities going, and that was almost like the, the three phases of fully.
0: <laughs> That's pretty wild. You know- each
1: each wrestler had a different mind frame and a different move set, and yeah, that was a very very good time.
0: Oh, I bet. And it seems like you're having fun with it as well of some of all some of the matches I've seen of, you know, of you know, Rory and Gil Rogers. I mean, um I love watching Rory kick ass in the ring, but um I love watching Gil Rogers. He's just so entertaining. <laughs>
1: yeah, Gil, Gil is so happy and just loves being out there. He's has such enthusiasm for pro wrestling. But Rory just loves talking trash. Like uh last summer I called it my, it was Rory Fox versus Jim Crockett Promotions. Uh, Last year, I got to wrestle the Barbarian, and then later that year, I got to wrestle Ricky Morton. And I I wrestled the Barbarian at this little outdoor show in Keokuk, Iowa, and he just didn't know what to think. Here's a 5'8", 200-pound Rory Fox puffing his chest out, saying he's going to kick Barbarian's ass.
0: That's pretty wild as well. And speaking of, you know, Crockett promotions as well. What do you think about uh, NWA coming back? Uh, They have and they had the Crockett Cup, and I was recently at the NWA uh, 70th anniversary show in Nashville.
1: Oh, you were? You were at that? Oh, man.
0: Yeah, that show was great. Um, I went there with my friend, and that was the most greatest show to watch. It, it made me bring back me being a kid growing up in the 80s, and then when they mentioned the Crockett Cup at that show before uh, they did it in 2019, oh, my gosh, I was geeking out.
1: Oh, and then I saw this year they actually had that old, that old like NWA canvas. Oh, my God, that would have been a great show for Bill Rogers to be on.
0: Oh, Gil Rogers would probably be like, uh, you know, getting the ring, doing his best, but he'd be too busy marking out of all the great legends in the ring.
1: That probably his downfall in that match. He was so excited, to, so excited he couldn't contain himself. Um, I actually uh, got to meet uh, uh, Dave Marquez and uh, uh, the NWA president, uh, Billy Billy Corgan at the WLW show that was Gil Rogers debut with uh, Harley Race's WLW
0: oh that's pretty cool that had to have been fun
1: yeah this was you know you're out in this little town of Missouri and then there's Billy Corgan I thought it's pretty crazy
0: that's uh, pre-
1: so I, I, I was trying to you know I oh I'm Gil whatever but uh, I just you know I wanted to mark up so that and get a photo with him but I, I just couldn't do it <laughs> uh, but yeah that was about there was about 600 people there Gil Rogers debut and I mean I, I mean, I sold so much merchandise that night. It was such a great night here. Here, six hundred people yell, Gil, Gil, Gill!" It's like, you know, this Gil Rogers is a worthwhile wrestler. It's a great gimmick, and I think more promotions should check out Gill because it's it, it's a unique gimmick and it's just different from everybody else right now. And uh, I even uh, <laughs> I even went over to how the race happened to be sitting at a table. Of course, Gil Rogers can't pass up meeting the. Uh, one of the greatest NWA World Champions of all time and going over and paying his respect <laughs> And Harley I don't think Harley knew what
0: the thing was. Hello, I'm Gil Rogers. It's a pleasure to meet you, sir. And speaking of Gil Rogers, you know another great match Gil Rogers should get into? I would love to see it. Uh, Gil Rogers versus Eugene.
1: Yeah, that'd be. We'd be a great tag team.
0: <laughs> that would be a wild tag team. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Thank you so much for uh, you know, taking your time to come onto the podcast. I had a blast.
1: Yeah. Yeah, good time.
0: And um everybody else, uh, thank you for listening to Russell Podcast. A good night.